0: Sunday, December the 10th, in our evening worship, they're going to be presenting a Christmas, uh, a Christmas uh, worship musical. And so I want to encourage you to be here with us that evening. In fact, this piece this morning is from that. It's called A Night of Alleluias. And so it's a combination of some worship and some Christmas music together. It's, it's going to be great. And, and we would encourage you to be here. So put that on your calendar. Sunday, December the 10th, in our evening Time of worship. We're going to take a minute now to dismiss our children upstairs to be in our kids' crew worship service this morning. So, our kids who are sixth grade and under are going to make their way upstairs. They're going to meet our leaders right down here at the front and they'll head upstairs to our kids' crew room for kids' crew this morning. And as they do that, I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We're in Mark chapter 5 this morning. We're working our way through. The Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, a series uh, sermons that we're calling The Gospel Changes Everything because what we see is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has the power to transform us and change everything about our lives. And as a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see repeatedly the power that Jesus has over all things in this life. And so in Mark chapter 4, we see that Jesus has power over the storms, power over nature itself. In Mark chapter 5, in this passage we're going to study this morning, we see that Jesus has power over demon possession. That We see that in, later in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus has power to heal those who are sick and, and struggling with disease. He even has power over death itself. And so, consistently again and again and again, the witness of Mark to the life, the ministry of Jesus, is that there 's power in in the name of jesus there's power in in what jesus does and and so let 's study this particular passage, Mark chapter five this morning, the first twenty verses tell us the story of a man who was possessed by demons now i don 't know if you like scary movies i don 't know if you like you know if you like. Uh, to go catch a good horror flick, or maybe on TV you, you like stuff that's kind of spooky, kind of scary. But as a, as a whole, as a culture, I would say, as a, as a society, we love scary movies, right? In fact, some of the most popular movies in the last several years have been movies that are that are geared toward suspense and horror, those kinds of things. And, and on TV right now, if you look at some of the highest-ranked TV shows, things like The Walking Dead, right, things that are, that are, that are scary. Or if, you, if you're on Netflix, right, a TV show like Stranger Things like just blows up and, and, and sweeps through uh, culture and everybody's watching and everybody's talking about it because we love scary things as a whole, as a culture. And sometimes you think, well, where does that come from, Right? The the want, the desire to be spooked, to be scared, the the enjoyment that we get out of uh, those kinds of things. Where does that come from? And I suppose that there's an element of it that there's the thrill of getting frightened and uh, and then you realize, oh, it was just, you know, it was just... A movie right her head doesn 't literally spin all the way around it 's just TV you know the dead don 't really come back to life. so I suppose that there 's an element of it that we, we, we just like the thrill, the, the rush, the adrenaline of of getting spooked, but there 's also a fascination that we that we have for just the phenomenon of the things that seem unexplainable and yet uh, and, and yet altogether just spooky and creepy right there 's this there's this fascination we have with the idea of demons or possession. And I say fascination. What I, what I mean specifically is just the idea that people are drawn to the fact that there are things in this world that we can't explain. There are things in this world that, that we don't know about, and yet we recognize it's there. We, we kind of don't want to know about it. We kind of want to live in ignorance of it. But then there's another part of us that gets that it's out there. I'll give you just even an example. Last weekend... Was big weekend with students, and we had a group of junior high boys in our house and in our house, it's in everybody's house, right? You lay in bed at night, and, and if the wind's blowing or whatever, you hear certain things, right? You hear certain noises, and you get used to it when it's in your own house, but when you're in somebody else's house, you, you hear all these new strange noises that you don't know, and you think to yourself, what is that? What, what, what was that that I just heard? And so on Sunday morning last weekend, the boys who stayed in our house woke up saying, there's a ghost in this house. And we were, no, there's no ghost in the house. Or, no, we we were hearing things we heard this I don't know what you think you heard but if whatever noises you heard at three in the morning was probably me putting the dog out in the backyard right I mean there's no ghost in the house but we tend to we tend to look around every corner and we see ghosts and goblins and the spooky and the scary and those kind of things well what's interesting about this passage is it tells the story of a real life a real life scary thing. I mean, the stuff that that takes place in Mark 5 in this story has all the makings of a good scary movie. This guy and maybe his backstory and some of this. And what we see is Jesus' power even over these forces, these spiritual beings that are at work in, in the world. Now, this took place a long time ago. And so it brings up the question, well, does this kind of thing still happen today? And my own belief on the matter is that it can. I have no firsthand experience with this. I have no firsthand. I've never witnessed it personally. I've never experienced anything like this firsthand. But I I think that it can happen today. But what's interesting is that we see, even in this story, the power that Jesus has over spiritual forces at work, in this world. Let's jump in to Mark 5 and let's see what what we're talking about here. In verse 1, we see that they came to the other side of the sea. Now we'll go back for just a moment to the passage we studied at the end of Mark 4 last week. And of course, it was the story of when the disciples got in a boat and they crossed over the Sea of Galilee. And when they get to the other side now, Mark chapter 5 picks up these events. It says, to the country of Gerasenes, And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. People came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been or rather who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So here's this story of the transformation that takes place in the life of this man who's possessed by demon, or demons, literally, and and how Jesus sets him free from that bondage and then ultimately gives him a mission as he transforms his life. So let's dig in this morning and let's understand what's taking place here. Three points you can see on the back of your worship guide as you follow along and kind of fill in the blank and take notes. The first thing is this, is that we see a possessed man's misery creates opportunity for Jesus to do a miracle. So we have a man who goes from misery to a miracle here, right? That's what takes place in this guy's life, from misery to a miracle. As Jesus Seizes the opportunity not only to set him free and perform a miracle, but to use that as a powerful teaching moment. This man we understand from the backstory for for years had been had been possessed by these demons, and the apparent desire of these demons was to was literally to harm this man, or I believe even to end his life. But they couldn't. They, their desire was to torment him and even kill him because it says that. He, he would try to cut himself with stones. Day and night, he wondered where the tombs were. He wondered amongst the, the dead, so to speak. And in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, that would have made this man unclean. Ceremonially, he would have been unclean because he lived among the dead, because he lived in a cemetery. And, and to do that would defile a man. Well, We know that Jesus is on the east side of the lake now, which is the Gentile territory. We know that for a number of reasons. One, just because of our understanding of history and the towns and and the setting, but also the fact that there would have been a herd of swine would have been unheard of in in Jewish, uh, in, in the Jewish territory, in Jewish lands, because... Pigs were unclean animals, and so they couldn't eat them. They were unfit. They didn't have herds of swine. And so they've crossed over now into the Gentile territory. There's a a herd of pigs. There's a man living among the the dead, a man who is unclean. And this man comes to Jesus, possessed by demons, and falls down before him and says to him, essentially, Don't torment me. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? There are so many interesting things going on in that. First of all, we see that Jesus was recognized by these unclean spirits in this man. Why? Because they knew who he was. They, they recognized his power and his authority as the son of man, as the most high God, that he was the one, right? He, Jesus had authority over this, th- these demon spirits, and they recognized that authority. Secondly, we see that their desire was that he wouldn't torment them. They, they, they feared Jesus. They, they cried out. They, they, they had fear of him. Also, we see that they couldn't do anything unless Jesus gave them the permission to do so. So they asked Jesus, please don't cast us out. Send us into these pigs. What do they do when Jesus gives them permission to leave this man, to cast them out of this man, and they, and they go into the pigs? Well, they, they drown the pigs. With further evidence, the fact that they killed these animals, further evidence, I believe, that they wanted to harm and kill this man. They couldn't, but yet when they were, when they were cast into these animals, and, and the animal having a lesser will than that of a man, then the first thing they did was, was to kill the man. In all of this, it's, it's just interesting that, Jesus delivered this man from demons. He has power to do what others could not. Others tried to set this man free, but they couldn't. Others tried to bind this man with shackles and chains, but he had such strength from the demons that possessed him that he could, literally, he could break free from the shackles and chains that they used to bind him. What we see in this is that Jesus' power and his authority extend from his very being. I mean, from the very heart of who he is, right? That he is the son of God, that he is the son of the most high God. He is the Messiah. He is the one who has power over life and death, and certainly he has power over these demons. And he exercises that power, that authority, to set this man free, to deliver the man from demons. And so this man's misery creates the opportunity for Jesus to do a miracle. You know what's ironic about this setting and what's ironic about the situation with this man is that the demons asked to be cast into these pigs, these, unswan- these, these unclean swine. And it really what that does is it sort of paints this picture for us. It paints this dramatic lesson that to a demon, a pig is as good as a man. And in fact, the truth is, to a demon, they'll make a pig out of a man, right? I mean, that's their desire is to ruin, is to steal, to kill, destroy. The desire of these unclean spiritual forces was to end this man's life, to ruin him. And not just one even, but a legion. When Jesus questions them, what is your name? Our name is Legion, for we are many. Now, in in the Roman army, a legion was a, was a force of 6,000 soldiers. And it says that there were about 2,000 pigs. So were there 6,000 demons? Were there 2,000 demons? We don't know. But whatever the case, there were multiple demons at, at work and possessing this man. And when Jesus sets him free, when Jesus casts the demons out, there were enough of them that they, that they entered into an entire herd of swine. And, the, and those swine... Uh, then drown themselves because of the, the work of these demons. But to a demon, to a, to a dark spiritual force, to Satan, we might say, in his dominion, a pig is as good as a man. They'll make a, a pig out of a man. And, and I think another great example of this we can see is the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son who was living among the pigs when he came to his senses and realized, I'd rather be a servant in my father's house than living here in the muck and the mire that I'm in. That's what, the, that's what the enemy does. When the enemy is in control, when he's in the driver's seat in our life, his desire is to ruin us, to make our lives as miserable as a pig wallowing in the mud, right? I don't know if you're here today and maybe you, maybe your life is miserable. Maybe as you come in this place today, you think to yourself, I'm so, I'm so burdened by these things and, and, and it, it's probably not demon possession, right? I mean, in fact, I would doubt... Seriously, that, that any of us, that, that, that's not the case necessarily, but that doesn't mean that it's not the work of the enemy who's trying to, trying to ruin us, trying to defeat us, trying to cast guilt and shame on us for things that we've done in the past, or maybe things that we didn't do that we ought to have done in the past, and trying to use all of that to bury us in shame. And what you need to hear today is that your misery is the opportunity for Jesus to do a miracle in your life to set you free from the bondage and the shackles that have you bound. And you may think to yourself, I've tried. I've tried everything in the world. I've tried all these. I've read books. I've read the Bible. I've gone to church. I've done all of these things. But my question would be, have you ever really had an encounter with the Son of the Most High God? Because when Jesus, when Jesus comes in your life, he has the power to set you free and to transform everything and change everything about your life. Your misery is the opportunity for him to do a miracle, to set you free from the bondage of of sin. And that's what Jesus does with this man. He sets him free. So he goes from misery to a miracle. Secondly, we see this, is that the unbelieving crowd wanted money instead of what mattered. In response to what Jesus has done, the, the herdsmen of this particular flock of pigs went into the nearby city and they found the owners of the pigs and they brought them out to see what Jesus had done. And when they saw what Jesus had done, and when they saw this man who had once been out of his mind, who once had the power because of the demons that possessed him to break shackles and chains, and they saw this man who tortured himself sitting clothed in his right mind, they were afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. They wanted Jesus to go far away because their, their, their concern was not over what Jesus could do or what he had done in the life of this man. Their concern was on their, on their money, right? They chose money over what mattered. You know, oftentimes we see that selfishness and self-centeredness stands in the way of salvation in our hearts. When all of our focus is on ourselves, when all of our wants and our desires is all about me and what's in this for me, and, 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 and selfishness and self-centeredness rule our hearts and our lives, that selfishness, that same selfishness stands in the way of salvation. Jesus essentially was bad for business for these guys because the, he allowed the demons to go into this herd of swine who ran into the sea and drowned themselves. But we also see that he has the power. And that the the power that he exercised over these demons caused both fear and awe in the lives of everyone who saw it. They were afraid. They understood that if he had the power to do this, then this man could not be contained. He could not be controlled. If he had the power to do this, if he had the power to set this man free from his oppression, then what else could this guy do? And so they begged him, Jesus, leave us. Jesus, leave us alone. You know, the response of the crowd here, the response of this unbelieving crowd, the response of these, the, the owners of these pigs proves that they don't get it, right? It, it demonstrates the fact that they don't understand. that The fact that they were more concerned about what it cost them financially than the fact that Jesus had set this man free shows that they don't get it. This could be indicative of us in many ways. Oftentimes we we don't get it too, right? And we tend to focus on the wrong things. We focus on things that don't matter, and and we miss what matters the most. Faith informs how we see our life's experiences. Faith informs how we interpret the things that take place in our lives. It does here. Those that believed in Jesus, who saw what he had done for this man, marveled at his power and his authority over these demons. But those who didn't believe wanted none of it. Jesus, leave. Get out of here. You're bad for business. Get out of town and don't come back. Both groups proclaimed what he had done, some of them from a position of faith, and some from a position of unbelief, saying, we want no part of this. The demon possessed man, though, interestingly enough, the one who had been set free, he wanted to leave everything and follow Jesus. In fact, he begged Jesus, Take me with you. Take me with you. As Jesus is getting in the boat, we see the man says, Jesus, can I go with you? Take me with you, please. The man who had once been out of his mind because of his possession, now in his right mind, his heartbeat was to follow Jesus. And yet, ironically, The people of this region, the people who owned the pigs, those who disbelieved, would rather have swine than a savior. Think about about the implications of that in our own lives, right? Because we tend to focus on the things that don't matter. We tend to focus on the wrong things. Money over matter, right? We want swine rather than a savior. Jesus, who has the power to set us free to transform us, wants to change everything about our lives, and yet so much of the time we focus on what's in it for me. It's interesting that money is at the heart of this. This is not a message about or a story about money necessarily, and yet then again it is because we understand what Jesus taught in Matthew, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? That ultimately what we possess reveals what we believe and so it goes back to the fundamental truth that we've said again and again. I've preached from this very spot that you will you will worship your possessions or you will worship with your possessions, right? You will possess your possessions or they will possess you. It's it's one or the other. It's a black or white issue. And here were a group of people who saw that Jesus was bad for business and they wanted the swine back. Give us our pigs, Jesus, you get out of here. And ironically, what they missed was the Savior because they chose the swine. So the unbelieving crowd wanted money instead of what mattered. Selfishness stands in the way of their salvation. And then third, we see this. Jesus' mercy leads to this now delivered man's mission. Jesus' mercy gives this man a mission. This man who had once been possessed, this man who once had power to break chains, literally, this man who once self-harmed and mutilated himself in an attempt to end his own life, now clothed and in his right mind, begs, Jesus, take me with you. Jesus, use me. Jesus, I want to do what you want me to do. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, okay, since you're no longer possessed, Now it's time to go preach. So Jesus delivers him from possession and calls him to preach, right? What does Jesus say? He didn't permit him to come with him, but he said, instead, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. See, God's mercy opened the door for this man's mission. And what did the man do? Verse 20 He went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Now, by the way, Decapolis means literally the ten cities. So it's a region. Not only did he go back to just one place, but he traveled throughout the region, preaching, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus among the people in those towns. How much Jesus had done for him. What did he share? We told what Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled because they knew who this man was. Jesus made a preacher... Out of, out of a possessed man, right? This is the power that Jesus has to save us, to set us free. In fact, what we see is that everyone that Jesus saves, he sins. Some, he sins far away, right? I mean, some people that Jesus saves, he calls them and sends them to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, to reach the unreached. But some, Jesus sends next door, you know, there's a lot of focus in, in missions today, particularly in what we call the International Mission Board, the work of the International Mission Board, which is a division of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a, a group that we support through our giving to the cooperative program. It's, it's a, we support the world's largest mission-sending organization known as the IMB or the International Mission Board as Southern Baptist. We partner together with other Southern Baptist churches and the money that we give each year, 12.5% off the top, from our church's budget and then in addition to that monies that we take up through special offerings each year which in in a few weeks we're going to be begin receiving what we call the Lottie Moon Christmas offering which goes toward the work of international missions and together as Southern Baptists we partner together to have the world's largest mission sending organization there's a lot of focus in the way that we do missions today on reaching unreached people reaching unreached people we talk about Getting missionaries in places where there, are, there is no visible witness to the gospel. Sending people of God, missionaries who are raised up from within our churches, and God sends them out to the ends of the earth to reach people with the gospel. Places where, frankly, there is no visible witness. Where the scripture doesn't exist in the language of the people. Places where there, are, there is no church, there are no believers, there is no evangelical Christian witness working to reach people from within a culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of the, of the some nearly 6,000 identified people groups in the world today, roughly a third of those people groups have no visible witness to the gospel and have no scripture in their language, in the heart language of those people. Many of those are small groups of people many of those are small and they're in they're literally in the corners of the earth right the the hardest to get to the hardest to reach peoples and the hardest to reach places and yet our mission is to go there with the gospel and reach people and yet sometimes people will say why all of this focus on why all this focus on reaching there's unreached people right here and i would want to i would want to uh, help create a a, a caveat in the way that we talk about this. Just this past week, I was, I was a part of a luncheon at our annual meeting of the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. That happens once a year the, in, in the month of November. That was this past week. And I was a part of a luncheon on Tuesday that had as the guest speaker a man named David Platt. You may or may not know that name, but David Platt is a well-known pastor and author and, and Christian teacher. He's also the president of the International Mission Board. And at this lunch meeting that I was at, Dr. Platt talked about the, he talked about the mission to go to the ends of the earth. And he talked about that sometimes people will say, why all of this focus from the IMB on reaching unreached people? There's unreached people in my neighborhood. And he said, he said, well, he said, we need to be careful that we distinguish between the lost and the unreached. Because see, the the unreached are the people that have no, they have no one who's coming to them to share the gospel. They have no visible witness to the, to the gospel of Jesus. There isn't, there isn't a church. There aren't believers in their language. The person at the end of your street, the person in your neighborhood, they may be lost, but they're not unreached. And he said often when I get asked the question, well, how do you know they're not unreached? And he says, my answer is because they're in your neighborhood, because God has put you there. There's a Christian on their block, so they're not unreached. They may need to know about Jesus, but that's why God's put you there, is to reach them. And we need to understand that every one of us that are saved are sent to reach people. It may be to the ends of the earth, and it may be just next door, regardless. When God saves us, he sends us to preach, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, just as this man does. Again, the irony in this man's story is that he begged to follow Jesus. There were others who were following Jesus who were on the fence about what to do with him. This man, who was convinced of the power of Jesus because he had witnessed it firsthand in his own life, begged Jesus, can I follow you? And yet Jesus sent him home. Because the reality is this, this is the the lesson we learn in this, is that before you serve Jesus elsewhere, you've gotta be faithful to him at home, right? Right? Before you can serve Jesus to the ends of the earth, you've got to step out your front door. Everyone that Jesus saves, he sends out to preach, to proclaim. You may say, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't mean, when I say preach, understand, I don't mean do this. Not everyone is called to do this. In fact, honestly, relatively few of us are called to do this. To, to study and, and, and stand and deliver a, a sermon and a message, but every single one of us who have called on the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord is commissioned by God to proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere we go to everyone that we meet. In the New Testament, the word that is used for preach or proclaim, it's in the In the Greek language, it's the word euangelion. And if you saw it written out in Greek, it looks just like the word evangelize. And that's actually where we get our word evangelism or evangelize is from the word that we translate into English to proclaim or to preach. Because that's what preaching is. It's proclaiming the goodness. And so God may not call you to pastor a church and and prepare a sermon, but if Jesus has saved you, friend, then he has sent you out. To share the message of Christ with everyone, everywhere. Because those he saves, he sends out. Mercy led to this man's mission. and God's mercy in our lives also is the, is the starting line of our mission. God has mercy on us. He set us free from our sin and our bondage. Set us free from the sin that had us defeated and trapped in, in its own shackles and chains. And because he's set us free now, he's given us the mission to share that message, that hope with others around us. And so we see it in this man's life, right? Misery creates the opportunity for a miracle. Unfortunately, there were some who chose money over what mattered. Their selfishness stood in the way of their salvation. But to this man who believed, God's mercy became the the doorway of opportunity for his mission. I wonder today, have you experienced the mercy of God in your life? Do you know for a fact that that you have called on Jesus as Savior and Lord, that he has set you free, that he has delivered you from the sin that, that had you in shackles and that had you in chains, so to speak? If you've called on the name of Jesus, then do you understand he is sending you out on a mission to share the good news. And for some, that may not be too far from where you are right now, right? Because it may be that God's just sending you next door. Maybe He's sending you across the aisle to, to where your coworkers sit. Maybe He's sending you out to your family this week as you gather with them for a, for a holiday meal. Maybe He's sending you into the world where your kids are and, and, and to invade that place with light in the darkness, Or maybe for some, God's literally calling you to go to the ends of the earth. Whatever it may be, if God has saved you, he's sending you out. But I also wonder today, do you know for sure that you've called on the name of Jesus? Has there ever been that moment when you know for certain that you have surrendered your life to him? Or has selfishness, has self-centeredness stood in the way of your salvation? Have you chosen the things of this world over what matters most? Maybe today God is impressing on your heart that today you need to give your life to him. Today you need to surrender your heart to Jesus. You need to receive his mercy. You need to call on him as Savior and Lord. In a moment we're gonna have a time of response, a time of invitation. However God is moving in your life today, if he's speaking to your heart, then I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience to him. If it's to, if it's to surrender your life to Jesus today, then our staff would be here at the front. We, would, we want nothing more than to be able to walk you through a simple prayer of faith, asking God to come in your life, to set you free from the bondage of sin, to give you a new life in Jesus, making him Savior and Lord of your life. And if it is that God has already set you free, but you're, you're just coming to terms with what that mission is, And I pray today that you would just respond the way that this man did to Jesus. And that is to say, Jesus, wherever you would send me, I will go. Whatever you call me to do, right? That was his response. Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, no, you need to go back to your family. Okay, Lord, I'm in, right? His response was, whatever you would have me do, Jesus, I'll follow. Would you be willing to respond in kind to him today? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I do that not because there's any magic in that, right? There's no, I'm not, I, don't, I don't do any magic or games up here when, when you close your eyes. It's just simply about shutting out everyone and everything else and in this moment focusing in on what God wants to say and do in your heart and your life today. And as you turn all of your attention and all of your focus to Him, I wonder what is it that God is telling you today? How is he instructing you? Friend, don't let selfishness stand in the way of salvation. Don't choose swine over the Savior, but instead call on his mercy. Find your life's mission in serving him and living for the one who can set you free. God, we thank you that you have the power to transform us from the inside out. And we see in this dramatic story that it was about setting a man free from demon possession. But in our own lives, we know that We're just as captive and bound by sin in our hearts. Jesus, set us free. Give us new life in you. Transform us from the inside out. We need your mercy. And Lord, as we trust in your salvation, we understand that that means we will be sent out. So speak to us now, God. Clearly call us to to how you would have us move in, in obedience to this word today. We pray in your name. As we stand together now to sing this song of response. I want to invite you to come. We'll be here to receive you, ready to pray with you this morning. However God is moving in your life, would you respond in obedience? To him? Great is Thy faith. to us. He, he has the power to set us free from sin and to transform our lives. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus had the power to set this man free from his chains. The truth is only Jesus has the power to set us free from the chains of our sin. My prayer is today that you would trust in him so that you might experience that transforming power at work invite you to have a seat, and as you do that now, I want to draw your attention to the registration forms that I mentioned earlier. If you're a guest, again, we